Welcome everyone to Heroes of Gaming, the podcast channel that talks with the people who make the games we love. This week, our hero is a multiple award-winning composer with accolades that spread from 1993 till today. Accolades that include Best Original Score, Soundtrack of the Year, Music of the Year, Best Original Instrument, and Top Honors for Best Original Score from the British Academy of Film and Television and the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. His fluid and adaptive works have impacted us profoundly, setting the tone for some of the most memorable moments in feature films, television, and video games. He has been there moving emotions with his arrangements, breaking records with his achievements, and inspiring new generations of musicians with his example. Move over, Howard Shore. Sit back, Bernard Herrmann. And somebody wake up Rachmaninoff because we have a legendary composer on our hands. Gary Scheiman, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's nice to be here. I'm, I'm looking around to see who you're talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> Overwhelmed by that great introduction. Thank you so much. I'm very uh, appreciative of your kind words. Did you always want to compose music? Did you start off playing instruments? or uh, how, how did that begin? I, I started um, studying the piano somewhat late. I was uh, like maybe 13 or 14. And uh, literally just serendipitously, my brother was uh, taking piano lessons. And so my mom rented a piano and I just fell in love with playing. And so he, after practicing for this one class, dropped the piano, but I didn't stop playing and practicing and start took lessons. And so I, I started out just being fascinated by classical music. I wanted to play the piano and play classical music and later found that I was really interested in, in writing, ended up going to the university of Southern California to study music composition. So that's, that's kind of, but it really just started with a love of playing the piano and classical music. Wow. That is incredible. And when you started after college, you went off and started doing television shows. Yes. I mean, that was uh, 1980 is when I started writing for film and TV and uh, games were not really from a musical standpoint, interesting at all. I don't know. I don't remember when Pong was invented. That's <laughs> the first game I remember, right. uh, you know, and that, that, that was um, certainly not a musical opportunity, you know? So uh, yeah, film and TV was absolutely my goal. I didn't, I didn't really want to teach, although I am teaching now at USC um, but uh, that was not my goal to teach, nor was it to write concert music, because I was practical enough to know that that there's there was no way to make a living writing concert music. <laughs> right, right. You could teach, you could teach and write concert music. So I really, but but actually, I was really in love with film music, and the great composers at that time were my heroes were Bernard Herrmann and uh, Jerry Goldsmith and folks like that, you know, who were just writing amazing things. Um, and so it was, it was, uh, I got an opportunity right out of college to work for Mike Post and Pete Carpenter, which is a team, uh, two guys that were scoring a lot of television at the time. This is now, this is the paper and pencil era. So, but for me, it was just so cool. Um, it was, it was really, it was a friend of mine in high school. His father was a TV actor. And he was a star named Dennis Weaver. I don't know if you guys know who Dennis Weaver is, but at the time he was he was a pretty big TV star. He had his own TV shows. And so Dennis was starring in a show and Mike and Pete were scoring it. So I asked my friend, hey, could you get me, can I get an invitation to the scoring session? And he got me in and so I met them and 
they had so much going on that they needed additional composers that were often called ghosts, you know, because you didn't get any screen credit, but you got paid and you got, you know, royalties from the music that you wrote. And that was like my initiation into like just cranking out music for television. When you moved on to some of these television shows, some of these television shows are pretty iconic, you know, right, uh, the team, Magnum, Magnum PI, greatest American hero, Rousters, <laughs> shows were really f- cool. I mean, for me, it was just a, Fantastic. I got to write and hear my music played by an orchestra once a week. Learned a lot about the process of scoring and underscoring, et cetera. You know, so it was it was totally cool. Wow. I did score some games, um, interesting enough, through the same friend, Robbie Weaver. Rob uh, hmm. was working at he became a producer at Phillips Interactive and they were making games there. The Nomer video games is more appropriate to what they were making. And so this was like a mystery called Voyeur, and it was kind of a rear window, Hitchcockian kind of uh, game. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, right. So that so it really is a video game. Yeah, it's a video, <laughs> yeah, it's a video game. Yeah. People will call it video games. It kind of doesn't make any sense anymore. But in any event, so I did do that. But So then, so then was Voyeur that moment that you switched over uh, to... Yeah. Video games? Uh, that was just a gig. It was a friend of mine hired me for it. I, I, I was still... Video games were not that interesting to composers at that point. Right. It became interesting, but at that point, at least to me, they were not. So it was just... I did three games back then. Phillips went out of business. Or I, they, they didn't go out of business before I quit. My, Rob, Robbie, my friend, stopped working at Phillips. I did get an orchestra uh, on Voyeur, which is very cool. So I was more focused on television and films uh, in the 90s. What made you do the jump? It was an opportunity. It was a serendipitous opportunity in 2004 Mm. where I had an agent sent my resume over to THQ. So they, they sent my resume over on a fax machine. They were still using faxes in 2004, okay? Uh, so it was sitting on the fax machine, and a woman who was an executive there saw it and said, I know him. And it was like my my girlfriend's roommate from college was an executive at THQ, uh, Rachel DiPiola. Uh, I still know Rachel. She's a lovely lady, and really, I'm, I'm grateful for her because it was like my... And so, she, and so just... Saying that and talking to the person, uh, music person there, got them to go, okay, well, listen to, let's listen to some of his music. So they did. They heard one piece of music on there that they thought was relevant to a game they were publishing called Destroy All Humans. And that just kind of started up the ball rolling till, till eventually I got hired to destroy all humans <laughs> that's fantastic that's so fantastic so it was just it was again once again it was just a gig it was like you know the, it paid well i was going to get an orchestra and i was totally intrigued to do it but once i got into destroy all humans i was like this is really cool that was where i kind of got hooked and was became very interested because i had not been playing games all of a sudden i saw this game which even in 2004 was like whoa, this is really interesting what they're doing now. The, the, uh, it was like sunglasses came off. You know, yeah, right. Pouring in. It's like, holy sh- this is cool. I enjoyed writing the music. And 
Also, because I was doing a lot of TV movies as such, they had gotten very tight with budgets because since and samples have gotten good enough, they were not giving you any money for live. And I loved recording with live instruments. And all of a sudden, someone was giving me an orchestra, you know? And I was like, holy crap, this is good. So it, it didn't come out until 2005. But I went to the G Game Developers Conference in two, early 2005. I didn't know anybody and just kind of like wandering around. And no one knew me because uh, Destroy All Humans hadn't even come out yet. Right, know? right. But I was like, this is fascinating. I, I want to get into this. And then when Destroy All Humans came out and it did well and people liked the music and it got nominated for some awards, that kind of put me on the map. Well, we could just listen to one of these samples here. Sure. Uh, from Destroy All Humans. Uh, the title of this track is Area 42, also known as Hunted. I think that was like a combat cue that you're going to play, Area 42. This is just so, so wonderful. It feels like it's, there's influences of John Williams or Jared Goldsmith, these really strong, uh, you know, brass movements. Could you just give us a little bit of insight as to uh, what what was the uh, mind behind it? Well, the audio director, Emily Ridgway, wanted a Bernard Herrmann vibe. Mm. Though a cue like this, I would say, is more Jerry Goldsmithy than yeah. Herrmann. But... Much of the score does have that sort of Bernard Herrmann kind of vibe, and I love Bernard Herrmann. And, and I mean, two of my favorite composers. So, so that that's definitely these big action. There's there was just these big combat action things, and it, and they kind of wanted you know really over the top, kind of intense driving. It was a blast to write the music and uh, to to record it. I recorded it here in L.A. and I I recorded all my early video game scores. In, or even into my mid-video game career here in L.A. until American Federation of Musicians uh, came out and really kind of uh, didn't really want to record video games scores, uh, which is insane, of course. Now they do, of course, very much, but at the time they, they just um, made it so difficult to record here that we had to go uh, overseas um, or other parts of the United States to record because it has a very complex, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, it has to do with uh, what's called secondary market funds and additional payments that they want, and they just made it hard to record in town. So that you were able to get an orchestra together and uh, and actually do live music. This is just, and it's so well, much more. Los Angeles. This is the Hollywood, man. They're, that's right. We do here. So it's no problem to get an orchestra together. You call a contractor. The contract, there's tons of musicians. We have all these recording studios. You book a date, you show up, and they play their hearts out for you. So that's just, you're in, I mean, when you're in L.A., especially at that time, it's like, that, that's just what they did every day here, like recording scores for film, television, and, and games, of course, 
Now, did you have at the time, especially uh, an orchestra that you like to work with, or is it all kind of hired guns? It's everybody, a pickup, it's, it's a pickup orchestra. You, I have certain players that I really love, and I sort of request. But then it depends on the contractor, you know, to hire really good players who are available on that day, uh, those times, to show up and and play. How you, that's the process. How many piece uh, orchestra was on Destroy All Humans? Oh, I don't remember. Probably around 50 or 50 or low 50s. Wow. Feels like a real military situation, you know, and the music is really what puts you in the seat when you have a live orchestra. Do you feel like you were one of the first people to do this? In 93, my that that was very unusual, certainly when I did Boyer with an orchestra. But by by two thousands, it was more common. It was not it was not that unusual, although it was unusual enough that I was able to get some PR uh, NPR the radio, and they were like, "Yeah, well, they did a whole uh, interview with me, Leanne Hansen, on a on a Sunday, talking about my music for, for Destroy Humans." So that was because at the time that was unusual, you know, orchestra for games. It was it was a man bites dog story shall we say you know yeah so unique enough that that you could you know i i did that just by me sending an email to someone at npr and they were like yeah we're interested in this this is cool oh that's great so emily ridgeway was also hired on this project how did that relationship work she, we, we we work well together and she really liked my music and she just hired me for bioshock there was nobody else she considered it was like I want Shyman, and so I'm very lucky that she got hired because that led me to score Bioshock. Yes, yeah. Well, they hired me for an initial period early on to 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 sort of experiment around and to find some ideas, etc. Um, and then um, they hired me formally for the game. I started working on stuff, but it it would took a while to come up with the sound because um, Emily said it, it shouldn't sound like any other film, television, or game score which is a little intimidating, like, what the hell yeah. am I going to do here? So uh, I had to find something, and it took it took a lot of experimenting, and then I found something that really I felt really comp- good about, and she she loved it too. So it just became the sound of Basha. Is that normal for studios to give that kind of freedom to a composer or audio uh, team to just say, hey, you guys figure it out on your own, we don't... You know, we just want it to be something different. Well, yeah, but they, look, my it's a it's a joke, really. I say I can write anything I want as long as they like it. You know, <laughs> uh, so they had to, to to like what we were doing. So we were doing stuff. Emily was really great about it. She was not sending them my stuff until because I was mocking things up before the orchestra was hired. Of course, you you, you mock things up and. And then uh, when she was happy with it, she started playing for them and they liked it. They were like, yeah, this is cool. You know, so if, if they didn't like it, then we would have certainly gotten that feedback that it's not working, you know. So I dealt with Ken Levine somewhat. I'd heard that he was really happy with the music and they wanted an anthem, like the anthem, like, you know, like, you know their Star Spangled Banner for Rapture. Right. So he wrote the lyrics for that. He and I like collaborated one night. I was like writing some ideas and I would send it to, okay, here's like the melody. And and then he started sending me all these lyrics. Like there was like just, 
I go, there's that's that's enough. You don't send me anymore because yeah. it's we're just not going to be like a ten minute song here, you know. Yeah. Um, and so and and that was uh, that was called Rise Rapture Rise, you know, which was which was fun. So yeah, that was but that was the extent to which I worked with him because really I was just you know working with uh, Emily day to day, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there was an emphasis on no electronic music. That's that you you all didn't want electronic music. You wanted you wanted the organic, yeah, organic or, or sort of orchestral sound. And I used some techniques, orchestral techniques called aleatoric, to create these really uh, eerie dissonance. You know that obviously a part of this. It was a pretty insane world, rapture, where you have all these splicers coming at you just constantly <laughs> your fear of your life forever you know yeah absolutely uh, could you go into perhaps just a little bit of the minutiae of the aleatoric uh, uh technique uh, just maybe describe for our listeners what that exactly entails right and people hear it i think nowadays oh, that's like a modern sound but it's actually it goes back to the 1950s ligeti georgi ligeti and penderecki and who were writing sort of invented this style and basically it's just it's getting the players to improvise within certain described parameters that the, that the composer provides so you may say okay play any note within this register uh, and then you get really kind of dissonant cluster because that's what wow. you want you know so they're they're, they're going to choose the players sort of randomly choose uh, which notes to play, and then and then you'd say, okay, now do this, you know, gliss up a, an octave or something. It's not just like anybody play whatever you want. That would be chaotic and would not be very effective. It's very uh, good aleatoric music is very much defined by the composer uh, to the technique and the instruments and the range and all those sorts of things to create. There's literally a myriad of potent possibilities you know wow Dude. so it's a controlled chaos yes yeah. controlled chaos. actually one of the my cues for bioshock was called controlled chaos <laughs> <laughs> well let's take a listen to one of the tracks here on bioshock okay sample here this is not aleatoric however thank you gary that's a great clarification now let's take a listen to the track welcome to rapture Just uh, it, it just transports you. <laughs> it just totally, totally transports you. This is where you are going down in the bathosphere when you first enter Rapture, and you're going through the water, and you're looking out of the, the porthole there. Porthole, yeah. and you can, and the city appears, and you're sort of slowly moving through it. And you, I think, you hear Fontaine and the background talking whatever so that's what it is now initially what i wrote here 
was uh, so I got the direction I got was you're going down to the scariest place on earth. And so I wrote something very dark and scary. And then they said, you know what? We've changed our mind. It, it's not that's that's the wrong vibe. It should be more mysterious. And uh, and so then I wrote this and, I, and they loved this. This was really, really worked well for them. And then when it got recorded with live instruments, it sounded like really, really amazing. You know, I hired uh, the concert master of the Los Angeles Phil to play solos. His name is Martin Shalafor, and he, he just played. He's a fantastic musician. So Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. The best composer gets the best musician. Let's listen to one more cue from the first Bioshock game entitled Cohen's Masterpiece. I, I absolutely love about this song is 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 how pure the piano is when you enter the level it's a cohen is like forcing this guy i think his name is fitzgerald or something to practice his piano piece right and, he, and so that's when you hear it the first time and he, he blows him up because he's unhappy with so they just said write a solo piano piece that this guy would be playing uh, and that's where it got and that so that was what his purpose and then they ended up using it throughout the level as sort of score because they liked it so much. But that was that was the purpose of that cue. It was not it wasn't sort of a typical underscore. It was actually something you heard in the game because someone is actually playing it. Well Gary, when I played it, it truly made a terrifying and memorable experience. And speaking of terrifying and memorable experiences, if we could move away from the first Bioshock game and let's visit a game called Resistance Retribution. And we'll listen to a track called The Guns of Rotterdam. to this music for a while when you're conducting are, are your arms just exhausted on, on songs like this i mean this is this is just so wonderfully bombastic and it's right i mean it feels like explosions going off on either side it's it's uh, very thrilling no you don't you don't have to make like the, the the um one thing i learned in conducting is that if the tempo's fast if you have really large swings of the arm you can't you have farther to go so it's actually you want smaller kind of uh, little little beats because otherwise if you're going like this the tempo is going to slow down you want actually smaller beats so you don't have to be wildly yeah, yeah. to really get the vibe you know the, the players see you know the music is written double forte or whatever so they know it's supposed to be loud you know now here i had yeah th th that was a fun that was for sony that was a, 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 a i think a handheld game for their 
their new software. Yeah, the PS Portable, PSP. Yeah, and PSP. Yeah, yeah. Again, you're bringing that military, that military presence of the uh, of the brass section, and and as we move uh, later down, as that uh, that bombacity starts to die down, it starts to turn into something mechanical, like this kind of a- alien. Uh, could you describe that? Right, that writing these aliens, you know. Right, right. Being invaded, essentially. Um, so it was just, you know, I just what I thought worked for these combat sequences. The, the, by the way, this is, in this instance, they actually sent me the whole PSP setup so I could play. Like, it wasn't like just a portable thing. It was like a big box, you know, because I had to play the builds of the game. But I found I didn't find that all that useful, interesting enough, because it, it was buggy. It was just really buggy, and it was it was it wasn't helping me. What was better, and what I usually get to write to, is someone plays the game at the studio and does a video gameplay capture. So I, I take that movie. It then becomes like a QuickTime movie file, and they send that to me, and then I lock up to that, you know, with my software, so that I get a sense of the vibe, even though I know I'm not. That's just one person playing at one time. It, it's not what the finals that any one player is going to have a, a unique, you know, timing experience. I get the sense of the place and the look of the, you know, battle and the intensity and all that. And that's what I use. That's very helpful to me. Knowing the story versus playing the game or, as you're saying, seeing the game be played, which is more effective for you? Someone gives you, you know, a huge beat sheet of, Hey, we're on an alien planet or whatever. So knowing the story versus seeing the game played. You know, direction from the audio director or music director, whoever I'm working with, along with gameplay video is is what helps me. And I get the script too early on. Okay, so really it's both real a combination of all this data yeah. that, that you use. Yeah, yeah, because they they know their game, they know what's going on. So they and they know its context better than I, because I'm was called a contracted composer. So I'm not like an employee of the company. I'm hired as a contractor essentially to supply an asset for the game, you know, and the asset is music. So they, they are sitting there with the rest of the developers day in and day out. And they're going to the meetings and they're seeing how the game is developing. They have that a great insight into what and how the music should sound and function. That's in, highly instructive. That's very important. Mm. During that process, are you doing like kind of a, a digital uh, edit that you're handing them before you get the full live orchestra together? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's called a mock-up. I have, you know, all these samples. Samples are digital recordings of instruments, you know. And I, sure. so I have, and I can use those to create a very, very, something that sounds pretty close to the final. Not as good, but it sounds pretty close. And so they're hearing what my concept is and approving it or making little adjustments or, or making it. I, I can imagine that would be an expensive mistake if they approve something live orchestra and then they come back, you know what? Yeah. I don't After like it. hearing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Definitely. We don't have that problem because they've heard it. They've really okay. heard it and they know what it's going to sound. It only sounds better with the live orchestra. It just sounds more inspiring. And the mock-up is good. You'd be surprised at how nowadays the mock-ups are, sometimes you can't tell the difference, you know, it's wow. the state, the state of uh, these samples is getting better and better. 
that said, an orchestra, a good orchestra is always, always better. If we could move on to uh, uh, Bioshock 2, it's called uh, uh, Send Him Howling Back to Right, Heaven. right, right. That's a good choice. <laughs> My heart races when I hear it. Well, it's, that's what you're trying to get the players, you know, really into it. You know, so that's, that's the whole point of it. You know, to get you really into the game. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm hearing notes of uh, Bernard Herman uh, throughout here. I, I feel like there's a little bit of uh, of psycho. Uh, there's this little these 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 sharp uh, string moments. Um, are you pulling any inspiration from that? And there's there's also some. Uh, really unique uh, sounds in here. It sounds like a like some sort of bell or metallic. Uh, yeah, sounds. actually, that wasn't live. That was actually a sample of someone playing, like hitting a metal sheet or something with a ha- hammer or something used as a musical instrument in the percussion section. So it could be like an anvil, something like that. I, I wasn't consciously thinking Bernard Herrmann, but Bernard Herrmann is a big influence on me. His music inspired me in some ways to become a composer because. Wow. First music that I heard when I was a kid, as I watched television and old movies that were on TV, and I was, and his music stood out to me as being really something that I remembered, you know, and really conscious of, you know. Well, when you when you create these immersive moments, especially this sample that we just played here, whether it be an anvil or uh, these these sharp string movements, how do you make these choices? I mean, wh- where do the choices really come from? Am I gonna add more here, or am I gonna uh, pare it down? These are just intuitive decisions. Is what that's what you do as a composer. You're trying to come up with something. Obviously, this is like intense pedal to the metal kind of fighting. You know. So they wanted something super intense, so I knew that, and and it was driving, and I don't have any uh, way of um, describing it other than I think this should come next. You know? Wow. You wow. know, you're around as a composer, you're going, what the hell am I going to do? And then all of a sudden you get an idea, and then one idea, so to me, in my composer's mind, suggests the next idea. Okay, this should lead, and then I hear it, and then it's can kind of hear something in my mind about what should come next, you know. The hardest part is sort of starting. But once you start, then the ideas sort of pile on top of one another. Wow. They kind of finish each other's thought. Yeah, because it's, it was like a conversation. I mean, you and I are improvising right now, right? We don't, we're not <laughs> scripted, okay? Right, right. So in a sense, you, you're doing the same thing. You're sort of going, well, what comes next? What should I say next musically? Wow. Oh, that's that's incredible, and the title is also so so. Um, I didn't write the title. Oh, no, you didn't. Okay, it, was, it had some technical title, and then they they someone created that title at, and I don't know who it was. It wasn't the Rational Games. Uh, uh, Take Two Novato, I think, made this game. It was it wasn't made by Ken's team, although it was made by some of the people who. 
I think Jordan Thomas was the creative director. Um, so, but so someone, someone there just came up with when we did this, they did a soundtrack, they had to come up with intriguing titles. Well, that's intriguing. All right. <laughs> I, did, I did not, uh, I, I can't take credit for a, a great name to create title for that cue. It had, okay. some, it had some banal name. <laughs> so, um, is that, is that normal? Do you not, do you normally have like, you know, uh, take five slash one da- uh, dash C uh, as your titles, or is it, or do you yeah. get to contribute to? Uh, to yeah, or, or it's just something very descriptive of its purpose, you know, battle three against Sauron or something, you know, if, if there's a soundtrack, then someone will try to come up with something more poetic than that, you know. <laughs> of course. And the titles are really the icing on the cake if there's a score released. But on the soundtrack of Bioshock Infinite, the Lutes twins have got to be one of the most unique and intriguing sounds we've heard from you. Let's have a listen. interesting departure from the things we've been listening to already your style is just so wonderfully adaptive and can can fit these situations tell us how this uh this idea came to you well so there's these characters and i'm assuming you played bioshock infinite right (laughs) yeah because you're you're a nerd you're the nerd uh yeah, I'm I'm the audience for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so there's these characters called the Lutes twins, and it's a brother sister team, and they're sort of like the they're not sort of watching, you know, they're sort of watching this sort of you know dispassionate and having these sort of weird, profound conversations that don't make any sense and do because they're sort of unstuck in time and. I'm not even. I'm not even sure I can completely explain what the hell they're doing in the game, <laughs> but they're cool. Okay, they're really cool. But they have this sort of ironic quality to them. They speak with like a British accent, you know. They're having this having this sort of like uh, verbal duels and things like that, but well, good natured, you know. And so I just thought it would be kind of cool to do a tango, and so that's what that is. It's a tango. When I, I just thought it would be interesting, and they thought it was great. They loved it. They, they occur in several places, and I sort of do different variations on that tango. Winning all these awards, especially for the first Bioshock, how, how did this change your career? Was well, it- I, I would definitely say the original Bioshock was definitely a, a, a big game. I mean, I, I thought it was such an interesting game as I was working on it, but I, I didn't know that it would be a smash hit, and it be, did become a smash hit. And then the music also was very positively received. I just think it would be true of film or television or games. It's great to, as if you're working on something like that, that enhances your career. There's no two ways about it to be involved in a hit, iconic project and if your your music is recognized so yeah it was very helpful to my career that that was a huge i mean that came uh, after destroy humans one and two but this was a whole different league of uh, career enhancement shall we say yeah so, 
definitely. And I'm very grateful to uh, to those opportunities because now the thing is, you know, this is this is the thing that I don't think people understand that. And I, I, at least it's true for me is that, like, if people hadn't asked me to write this music, I never would have written it. You know, so like someone hired me and is paying me well to, like, do really out there cool stuff. You know, I mean, otherwise I would never have gotten written if I had been working on some mundane television series that, you know, you're just sort of cranking out the music and it's it's fine. It's good. It's it's workmanlike. But when someone asks you to do something like really like you say, it shouldn't sound like any other film or television or game score. And you and it's and it's an out there project. And then you get to write cool stuff and you go get, get to really challenge yourself to do unique stuff that I think that pushes you. And and I'm very lucky to have been pushed to find these ideas, you know, cause I just, I wouldn't have ever thought to write this music and probably had I written it, no one would have cared because it didn't relate to anything that they knew about. So you could put it up on YouTube and get 30 views or something, you know, so this was a different, this definitely elevated this music and people loved the game. And then, and also, uh, appreciated the score and got you get awards and things. So yeah, it definitely is a huge help to your opportunity, give you opportunities to, or this would be true that, you know, John Williams writing the score for Jaws, you know, right. Right. Where he was just a, a, he was a very, he was a successful composer, but he wasn't famous or anything. He was just, you know, just a good solid working film composer. And all of a sudden he did Jaws in it. And then he did, Close Encounters, said <laughs> he is, and, and Star Wars, and all of a sudden, of course, he 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 is a unique genius, you know, yeah, of the highest order. So I'm not comparing myself to him, but I'm just saying that. But those opportunities, he would never have written the the Star Wars music or the Jaws music had he not been hired by a great film director, Steven Spielberg, to make those. Well, of course, Star Wars is uh, was. Uh, George Lucas. So, mm-hmm. but in any event, so you, so we're sort of lucky that people are hiring us and saying, "Hey, write something for this really cool thing I've made," and then you contribute to it, and then you come up with something. You know what I mean? So, the soundtrack of the year. That's <laughs> that's that's what it eventually became. It's incredible. Yeah. So I'm just I I'm just very lucky. And for me, the the coolest music anyone has ever asked me to write has been for games by far. Mm. The really most, and from a composer's perspective, because, you know, I love writing music and there's, you know, there's a lot of television music and even film music these days. It's very ambient and, uh, you know, people do a great job writing it, but it's not memorable. It's just not, it, it, yeah. it does its job and it works well, but if you isolate it from the picture, it's not all that interesting. When you are asked to write these really interesting cues and things, it's just, it's just, we're just really lucky, you know? Lucky enough to work on incredible creative pieces in the video game world. But what happens when movies and video games collide? That's when you get Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor and Middle-Earth Shadow of War. Now we know the movies weren't exactly inspirations for you, but it ended up being a really good thing, creating your own unique sound. I saw one. You saw the, the, the two the towers. Yeah. Right. So, But that was it. And although Nate, who is, you know, the in-house uh, composer at Monolith Games, was a complete, you know, Lord of the Rings nerd. Right. <laughs> right. All that stuff. 
And so he, so he had, but I think we really came up with our own unique, we share the fact that it's orchestral with Howard Shore, but I don't think we imitated him. No, no, it, it is, it is a uh, standalone. And, and, and I think that was an asset uh, to you, uh, not necessarily having something to copy, but something to create from inception. I thought that was really amazing what you did. So we have a sample cue here from Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor entitled The Nemesis. What do you say we give a little listen? Let's do it. What what is what is so fascinating about this this piece is the choir and operatic voices you hear in the background. Could could you give us a little detail as to the introduction of of having voices in the orchestra? Well, I, I mean, I love choir. I don't know if you guys uh, we we don't um, not talking about uh, Dante's Inferno, but right. that was that's that's actually a very cool score, and I. I spent um, days and days with a choir in London. So I love writing for choir. It's just such a great sound. Choir samples too, you know, the, the stuff that comes out of the box don't sound very good compared to real voices. So we had real real choir here. Uh, all this was all recorded in the Seattle area with Seattle Symphony and local choir. Wow. They, you know, they sounded really good. They just, they just bring a great quality to the music, and it just seemed fitting for this sort of big, iconic world of uh, Mordor and uh, you know Lord of the Rings. It just felt like a really nice addition to those to that game. Both of those games, Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor, and Shadow of War, we use choir. Yeah, because it feels it feels like those games have a lot to do with like tribal, like that, that's yeah. music passed down through drums and voices and things like that. And even though that you didn't. You didn't watch the movies. You're still studying the the story. Absolutely, absolutely. So we actually tried to create a different vibe for each tribe when you're in their area. Certain instruments, certain sounds, certain orchestral arrangements would represent those orc battles. You know that you were. Yeah, that's involved. so fantastic. And the Nemesis, particularly, because this this team invented the Nemesis system. That was the right. Yeah, they, that, they just uh, copyrighted. It was right. right. It's their big. It was their big thing that they uh, that they pushed and promoted. And and yeah, it's it's a very unique, uh, unique gaming system to have. And people just absolutely loved it. So creating the song and and the score that has to do with the nemesis, and you feel like, wow, I've met my nemesis. This is that battle. This is that moment where you hear all the voices of your ancestors. You're you're facing off for life and death challenge. It is, uh, you know, I think you're able to capture uh, that moment. Well, thank you. And and we also recorded sounds. It was a church, a big church, 
wow. that my engineer knew about and which had a really big room sound and i brought in a couple of just two players but we recorded ancient or primitive instruments like big conch shells or helm shells or different kind of animal horns and large alpine horns and things and we sort of created like a sample library of them and then wow. we used them sort of like freely and you could hear some of those in this and they and the sort of different tribes would have certain sounds that we sort of agreed okay this would be a good sound for them but i didn't know when i was actually recording it i was really creating like a sample library of interesting things and we spent just three or four hours recording all these different crazy instruments you know Wow, and I think the church would really create an acoustical environment that would be that would be very it interesting. It did. It had it. Had, it was a really nice ambient vibe to it. As a matter of fact, though, when we recorded the orchestra in the Seattle area, we recorded in a decommissioned church called Bastier, and that's where most people record up there. And it has a beautiful acoustic, has very high ceilings, and that is what you want when you record an orchestra. You want this ambience that is attractive and reflects the sound of the orchestra in a really wonderful way and that makes the orchestra sound bigger and if you if we record in a very dead room and, and a lot of rock and roll is they and they want that they want to add a digital reverb or reverb mm. you know it could be there, there are old before they had digital reverb they would build these rooms underneath the studio and it would amplify the sound to, uh, with a microphone there was there are ways to to get uh, reverb without digital but in any event that's not the ideal for recording an orchestra the ideal is a big room that reflects that and there's some studios like abbey road is famous for having that big ambient vibe to it uh, i love recording in la and fox studio on the Fox scoring stage is wonderful sound. <laughs> wonderful insight. Uh, that's, that's terrific. For people that are starting off as composers, for people that are working through this, Nathan Grieg is... He hired me. He's the okay. in-house music director for Monolith Games. Each game had like four plus hours of music. So yeah, it's, it's huge soundtrack, uh, huge. They're yeah. big games. You can play them for many, 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 many hours. Really was something that requires a lot of music, absorbs a lot of music, because there's just, even then, there's plenty of time when there is no music, you know? Games are big and expansive, and so he, yeah, he, and he's a terrific composer. Nate, Nate is great. So, I mean, he's, you know, Nate is great. <laughs> he's, wonder, wonder, he's a great guy to work with. I love working with Nathan, and uh, his, uh, his music is terrific. All right, well, let's transition away from the Lord of the Rings games, and move to another game called Torn. Let's listen to a cue from the track entitled Rena. mystery in the opening but it becomes so much more darker as the song continues could you give us a little insight as to the story about how these pieces kind of came together for you 
Well, this is a virtual reality game. Torn. VR. And, yeah, it's a VR game. It takes place in a mansion, an old mansion, and you're exploring it as the player, and you're solving puzzles. And as you do, the story sort of starts to come together, and there you discover different rooms, many of the rooms that were important and had stories behind them. So I would write music to sort of like, as you entered the room, you'd hear that music to tell a little bit about the story. Now, the, the cue you just played was a character named Rena, who was the wife of Talbot, who was sort of the main character. They're actually both, but he, um, she sort of disappeared, you know. So this is sort of a, a musical remembrance of her, the love of his life, and also a scientist. You know, they're both scientists. So that that became so. There is actually a lot of music that's that's quite beautiful in this game. But later, it has sort of a um, a black mirror kind of ending. You know, it has. Yeah. It, it, but the music is, can be sort of like a red herring, like kind of suggesting this beautiful benign world but it has that purpose too and as much lulling the character that you play into thinking one thing when it's really all another so yes like a siren's call yeah it's it's what it feels like it feels like this this uh, haunted siren that's uh bringing you closer to the deadly shore it's 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 just fantastic it was fun to write some beautiful music I mean, a lot of music I do get asked to write is pretty intense and it's not, but I love writing beautiful thematic music. I think to me, that's just lovely to do. And uh, in games, you don't get enough of that, unfortunately. But in this case, I had a really great opportunity to write some beautiful cues. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's so wonderful that you you have the, the capacity to, to genre switch. You're capable of doing anything. And it's it's really amazing. It's, it's, I mean, it's, like it is. And you're very kind. I mean, that's, <laughs> I find that so, that's part of what's fun about scoring, not just games, but films is that, and television is that you are often tasked to write stuff in styles that, you know, are really different. And so it's really, really, I love that. I just love writing in different styles and different, using different techniques and things to create everything from the darkest, scariest uh, mind numbing intensity to something beautiful and elevating. And uh, I'm very happy that those opportunities avail. And would you say that it's the, it's not just the, the love of creating music, um, but would you also say the challenge is something that you're attracted to? If you get a project? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I want to write in different styles and sometimes I'm, They'll ask me to write something and go, oh, well, I've never done that before. Let me figure that out, <laughs> you know. But I do think that is something I'm good at. Like, if, sometimes I'll immerse myself in a style of music for a few hours listening to things that are relevant, you know, and then go ahead and write something, you know, based upon, I, okay, I'll go, okay, I get it. I get what, what, what it is. Wow. That's a perfect transition into our last piece here, uh, the game Metamorphosis, which is super unique on its own. Let's listen to this track.
game that is uh, supremely unique. You're playing from a perspective of a of an insect. Yes, <laughs> and and you can you can tell the little the little kind of tiptoeing of of insectoid feel that you get the, the string plucking that that, that you hear. It's like pizzicato is the term when this when the violins and celli or whatever pluck the string. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And and what other uh, techniques did you uh, employ here to to create this? All right. So, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but Nikolai uh, and I, I wrote this with Nikolai Stroyansky. So uh, this is a co-composed score. Nikolai actually invited me on to this. Um, and Metamorphosis is based on a book by Franz Kafka. Right. And, and in, in the book, you become an insect. So that's you and you do in the game as well. Famously, last week, we, we won outstanding original score for interactive media from the Society of Composers and Lyricists. So congratulations. congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. So it, it, it's getting uh, some appreciation from the, the composers. And this is all composers who vote on this particular award. It's only folks who do do what, what I do, you know. So that means a lot to me. When I first started, uh, got invited to do this, I said to Mikolai, I said, you know, this book, Metamorphosis, written by this really interesting writer, Franz mm -hmm. Kafka, who wasn't at all known during his lifetime. He, he, you know, he asked his friend, a friend of his, to destroy all of his books, all of his writings after he died. And, and his, fortunately, his friend did not. So thus we know the writing of Franz Kafka. So he wrote in this period in sort of German history, uh, th there's a school of art known as the Expressionist School. He was sort of part of that, you know, and you had expressionist painters like Egon Schule and Gustav Klimt. You had um, architects, you had, you know, writers like Kafka, and then you had composers like Arnold Schoenberg and who were doing this sort of unique sound of that period, this, uh, this expressionist. So I said, what if we do an expressionist score? You know, and part of the expressionist score was to use this vocal technique called Sprechstimme. Sprechstimme is a German word for half-spoken, half-sung, invented by this uh, famous German composer Arnold Schoenberg. And also, he created a technique called serial writing or 12-tone, which is an interesting, complex style that I happen to have studied. I studied for three years 12-tone when I graduated from USC. So I, so I thought, well, it would be really cool to write some 12-tone music with Sprechstemme, which styles I never thought that could be used in any kind of a commercial game or whatever, you know. But I just thought, this is it. This is the opportunity to do something that out there, you know. And, uh, and it really worked, not, it worked well because this, if you hear the voice, and we found this wonderful soprano, uh, Joanna Freshel who is Polish and Nikolai found her and she just totally nailed it. That was exactly what I wanted to hear in the vocal because it has this sort of ironic kind of almost mocking quality to it. And, they, yeah. and that added really added the right vibe for this game. So it, it just turned out so unique. I mean, it was, I was just so happy with how this turned out. It's, it's not like a big budgeted triple A game or anything. But very unique style of game, and uh, the score turned out to be pretty unique as well. Such an incredible uh, 
a collaboration and exploration in the uh, in that that technique, that style, and I love that that uh, that you guys are getting really recognized for this within the community. That's that's terrific. It's other composers, you know, they're all tipping their hats. <laughs> they they see the uh, gamble. Yes, it, it really it, it was sort of a gamble. Fortunately, the developer was like on board. They heard it and they liked what we were doing, and so they stuck with us, you know. And uh, it it turned out to be something very special. A, a really wonderful uh, lesson in the examples that you give, even in something like Metamorphosis, which is one of your latest things. Uh, you still take chances. You still you still explore. You still dive into new things. Uh, I think there's a powerful lesson in that. Yeah, I think it, there there is. I think you you hit on something very important. You you do need to, to if you're if I'm talking to young composers now, you need to establish your sort of uniqueness. If you just sound like Hans Zimmer or whatever, that's fine. But there's a lot of people who can do that. Hans Zimmer was the guy that you know, and he's he's done very well being Hans Zimmer. <laughs> yes. so, um, so you have to find your own sort of path, and if it's unique, if it sounds different, that's that's quite valuable. That's that's really where you you know the cliche is you find your voice, you know. And I think and and I think games help me to find my voice because I think of my music earlier. It's I think I did a nice, really nice job on the stuff I scored. But it was games that sort of gave me the opportunity to really explore the depths of my writing skills, you know. It's been just such a such a pleasure and such an honor to speak sure. with you today. We are inspired by you. So thank you so much for your my pleasure. Your, before we go, is there anything you want to promote or, or, or talk about that you got maybe coming up next or anything that you want to? I'm working on some stuff and I can't talk about it. The gaming industry is notoriously um, private and you actually sign what are called non-disclosure agreements, so you agree not to disclose what you're working on. Right. So I can't, I can't talk about that. But it, it's, it's really, I'm really enjoying what I'm working on now. It's really a great challenge, and um, I'll have, I'll have a lot of time with the orchestra on it as well, which is really cool. Well, we're excited for your next venture, and we'll be, uh, we'll be there cheering you on the whole way. So thank you so thank much you again welcome. for your time. Yeah, thank you. Yes, a pleasure. Enjoyed the conversation with you. Have a good day.